part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. Spoiler alert, this podcast is covering the most recently released episodes of The Crown on Netflix. If you haven't seen them yet, this podcast may spoil you. You've been warned. Welcome to Podcast Lilibet, where today we are covering Season 6, Episode 5, Will's Mania, and Season 6, Episode 6, Ritania. We'll get to the credits of who did what on those episodes in a minute. But first, my name is Matt Murdick. I am your jester host. And I do have a constitutionally required co-host as well. And I would rebuff him three times with the staff. However, (laughs) he is someone who has truly mastered the Dutch bonnet napkin fold. And so I can't really refute him. Welcome to the podcast. Once again, Bubba. Matt, we're into it. This is the end of a great series, the final six episodes. It's exciting. We're going to break them down. Where is it going to end? There are spoilers online, but there won't be any in these podcasts because I've only seen the first two episodes, uh, five and six of part two. Very excited to talk about the monarchy. I also have not quite completed the series yet. I did go a little bit past, a couple episodes past, but I haven't seen the last two. Mm. And here's something that's interesting, Bubba, is across the internet, as I've kind of looked across some of those spoilery kind of posts, I found that there's a kind of a mixed reaction to the end of this series. Oh, yeah. It's Um, mixed. It is mixed. I see that online, too. Yeah. Um, And preferably with these two particular episodes that we're going to be covering tonight, I've seen less enthusiasm, but more enthusiasm Mm. towards the very ending. On the other hand, those that have the opposite opinions of those are on the very extreme and they seem to be going back and and forth uh, from the opposite direction. So it'll be interesting to see where we come down on these episodes. So why don't we start rating them now? Yeah, let's do it. Let's start with season six, Will's Mania. This one was written by Peter Morgan and Jonathan Wilson and directed by May Altuque. I probably butchered that name. So sorry if I did. Uh, the, your synopsis is hounded by press and adoring girls. 15-year-old William struggles to find stability after Diana's death. Charles enlists his own parents to help his son. Mm. Bubba, how would you rate this episode on a scale of one to 10. Matt, I'm going to be completely backwards. I'm going to talk about the episode and my impressions of it before I give you my rating, if that's okay. That's fine. And that's because none of this episode felt true. This new actor playing teenage William, he looks closer to 30 years old. I swear to God, the actor's probably 30 years old and he's supposed to be playing a teen, maybe 15. Not Didn't ring true at all. The words of the conflict between Prince William and his father, Prince Charles, it felt like somebody just kind of pulled them out of thin air. Like, well, this is probably what these two people did argue about or their thoughts maybe a natural thought would be if you're one of these people. So it rang false. But what's funny is my ranking is I'm going to go nine out of 10 double F's. Wait, double F's? Fantastic falsehoods. Even though I didn't really think any of this happened in real life. And again, the actor doesn't really look like a teen to me. Why didn't they keep the guy who was that young actor who was in episode four for this one? But all of that said, it was a very relatable episode in that so many of us have gone through grief. Life, the challenges of life is losing loved ones and how you react to that and the emptiness you can feel when you lose a loved one. And so 
for people who want kind of like honesty in like this is what was happening with the royals, Prince William in particular during this time, I can understand how they may not like it. But for me, I actually thought it, it was enjoyable. It was fascinating to watch. I, I started really late one night after midnight. And I thought, well, I'll watch a little bit and then I'll come back and watch the Reds the next day. No, I, I was hooked. I stayed through the whole entire episode. Nine out of 10 from me. What do you, what'd you give it? I gave it just slightly higher than you. Higher? I, wow. Yeah. I gave it 9.3 out of 10, what I like to call double P's. And that doesn't stand for packed podcast. Oh, wait, double P's? If it doesn't stand for packed podcast, what could it stand for? Well, it stands for perilous parenting. Because uh, uh, yeah. I'll tell you what, I, and I know that uh, even in the last episode, we talked about how I turned this podcast into my therapy couch. Oh, and, yes. You know, talk about things a lot uh, as it relates to my personal life. Um, I would give anything to be able to hug my father the same way that Will does in the end of this episode. And the extraordinary thing for me was really Philip because of what he does out of regret for things that he wasn't capable of doing when he was younger. I've never liked Philip so much. Uh, this is the most that I've ever liked Philip. And I've been the one on this podcast who's liked Philip a lot. Yes. Um, so this whole thing just was very emotional for me. I think Jonathan Price was the absolute star of this episode, but I don't, I don't want to, uh, you know, give any less credit to Dominic West and, and Ed McVeigh. I thought that they were just extraordinary in this episode too. Some of the feelings of hurt that I could see on Charles's face, I mean, suddenly I became Will, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I, in the end, my father and I found some peace before he went, but it didn't quite feel like enough. And I was just, regardless of how true or untrue any of this is, is I think it's a beautiful story, not just about grief, but for me about parenthood. And what parenthood truly is. And the fact that you got to let that kid look at you with murderous eyes, as like Philip says. <laughs> and, and um, you know, and hope that he'll forgive you someday. That that's just really got me. And that, that, that was the emotional side of it for me and probably skewed my rating. Um, but, you know, anytime I can go to a television show for therapy as opposed to paying $140 an hour to a psychologist, I'm there. Well, wait, wait till you see Netflix's new uh, fee hike for the next month, but sure. I don't know how to respond to that. Okay. No, I'm glad you you liked it more than me. This is incredible. Matt, you mentioned if you go online, people are relatively mixed on season six, part two. Uh, are we out of the norm? What, what do you think? I think it depends on what camp you're in. You know, if you're talking to the same guy that was doing this podcast two years ago about ep uh, season three or season four, like we were then I would probably like it less because of the historical inaccuracy. But wow. you Bubba, you yes. have convinced me Thank to God. treat this like just a dramatic story. And I really have enjoyed it a lot more. Uh, the starting the second half of last season and uh, all of this season so far. You know, Matt, I'm going to go on a very short, hopefully tangent, but I'm re I've, I got a gift from my, our good buddy catfish for my birthday, the Werner Herzog, uh, biography book that he just oh, put out. Werner Herzog, the, the famous director, the client from the Mandalorian. Yes. And one of the things he said was that sometimes 
it's better to go fake because in truth, like, hey, we interviewed this person. This is what they really said. A lot of times people don't tell the truth. They don't want to say, okay, I was hurt this much, or this is what I would really felt like. This is what I did. Because people don't want to be embarrassed to say, you know, I broke down and cried or whatever. And so sometimes you almost do get closer to the truth through fiction than through, you know, interviewing somebody. And this is exactly what they said they did at that time. And so I, I've come to peace with it on the crown. And I think even though this new actor playing Prince William, once again, to me, looks 30 years old, I, I think he did a great portrayal of somebody who has that empty feeling you can have when a loved one has passed. And so I appreciated this episode for what it was trying to do. Excellent. Well, why don't we talk about uh, season six, episode six? Uh-oh. Oh, Ruritania. And this episode, I think, uh, had an outrageous beginning, which I absolutely loved. But I wonder what you felt about this episode. How did you rate it? So, episode six, what is, what is it called again? How do you pronounce this uh, title Ru of this episode? Ruritania, which is a name for, like, a f kind of a fictional place in Central Europe. Sure. All right. Well, let me jump in and say, on the plus side about season six, episode six... It featured a spotlight on two actors who also appeared in our favorite miniseries ever, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, where Bernie Carville playing the prime minister and the actor Jamie Parker playing Robin Janvrin. And um, I love seeing those guys, so that's good. On the negative side, I had seen people talking about, boy, the crown once a season has to do a traditional, this is the way the monarchy operates versus somebody being like, that is old fashioned and pointless. We've got to modernize the monarchy. Like we have these episodes all the time. Maybe every time there's a new prime minister, we have to have this kind of battle. And people are saying this was like the weakest one of these we've ever seen. Hmm. And so I understand that thought entirely. And I understand that when you talk about the drama of a son losing his uh, mother and these kind of things that, you know, the stakes suddenly drop very far down but call me crazy once again i'm gonna give this episode nine triple s's out of ten wait can you do triple s's yeah well of course in in nine is not the right number normally it would be you know like you wouldn't sing it nine swans are singing you'd sing seven swans are singing six herb stewards five royal barge masters Four Rose Dragon Pursuants, three Astronomer Royals, two Multi Taver Herald Extraordinaries, and one Yeoman of the Glass and China Pantry. Maybe it's the holiday spirit that I'm in, but I did enjoy this episode, even with what it obviously feels like lower emotional stakes and even historical stakes. Um, I'm an American. I always say that I'm not a royal watcher. I shouldn't know any of this stuff. And somehow an episode can get me, an American who hears these ridiculous titles, you're the warden of the swans, what the hell? And then through, you know, through meeting these people and seeing the passion and, and their, you know, how they love their positions and how they take it seriously, suddenly I'm like, okay, yeah, you can keep your job. Yeah, you can keep your job. Okay, people don't fold napkins like they used to. Okay, buddy, you can keep your job. You can keep your silly title. It, it worked for me. Nine out of ten. I can't believe I, I said it, but uh, 
that's my rating. I, I, maybe I maybe I should give up my American citizenship after that. But nine out of ten. What about you, Matt? Nine out of ten for me. What'd you give it? You're not going to believe this, Bubba. Well, I, I, I apparently can't believe myself that I gave that I'm suddenly supporting of wardens of the swan. So who knows? I, I'll believe anything, I guess. I, I mean, this has never happened before. Never happened. What? We tied on our scores. What? I gave this nine out of ten double mm -hmm. D's. Wait, double D's? Deranged dreams. Hmm. I cannot tell you how much I loved that opening sequence. That was hilarious wow. to me. Mm. It was one of the most funny things that I've seen Peter Morgan do. And I loved it. I loved every second of it. The song that the choir yeah. was covering. I yes. mean, it was amazing. It was perfect. I I was in, no matter what the rest of the episode was going to be, I was in from that. I was just like, and, 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 and Bernie Cobble just... He is amazing, too. The way that he was proceeding down the, the whole aisle and everything. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. But I want to save some of that for the discussion later. I think that what I did was I went back and I listened to some in, uh, some speeches by Tony Blair after I yes. watched this. I cannot believe how much Bertie Cavill has, like, mastered the way that Tony Blair sounds. Yeah, he doesn't really look too much like Blair. No, I love but Bernie Carvel. You close Jonathan your eyes Strange, and you can hear yeah. Tony Blair, man. Without it, question. I, it was unbelievable how good that was. And mm -hmm. all of it, you mentioned, you know, getting involved with the Warden of the Swans and the Lord yeah. Admiral of the Wash. No, brother, and, yeah. And I don't think that I've ever walked away from this episode outside of maybe the fifth episode of season one where the Queen was actually anointed. Uh, I think that was called Smoke and Mirrors. I don't know that I've ever felt more patriotic towards the English country, towards the UK. All of these postings made me like, they are important. And by the end of that whole sequence, I was like, no, they are important. You can't, you can't let any of these people go. Don't let any of these people go. They are important. And uh, <laughs> Right. And, Isn't that crazy? And yeah. Blair's speeches, that one to the Chicago, to the Chicago mm -hmm. uh, Economic Board was unbelievable and i i was just like that there was a whole doctrine that was set after that and we'll talk about that in the history notes but i mean my gosh i just really i wanted to become a, a uk citizen while i watched this episode i'm not kidding i really i loved this country in in the in these moments and the episode yeah. was funny so it was great. Uh, you know, what's more fun than seeing a bunch of people dressed up in costumes in, in their traditional, you know, garbs, mm -hmm. and they're all just sitting in a chair waiting to be interviewed by the queen. It was perfect, Matt, man. Matt, if you're going to, you know, take up citizenship in the UK, I'll, I'll make you the uh, royal uh, persurfant uh, uh, podcaster. There you go. How about I just have the uh, podcaster of the wash? <laughs> how about warden of hearts on the sleeve? Let's, sure. Let's, yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah. So we'll do that. Folks, we know that we discuss this thing quite a bit in, in ways that you may or may not have agreed with, but we yeah. would like to know what you agree with or what you disagree with. So please yes. tell us. You mm -hmm. can send posts to at little bit pod on the for site formerly known as Twitter, or you can also send them to the word double, the letters PHQ. Be sure to use that for all of the socials 
for Double P Media, including Facebook, facebook.com slash the word double, the letters P-H-Q. You can send emails to me, mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, or you can leave comments on our YouTube videos. You can find mm-hmm. the YouTube videos with Double P Media, youtube.com slash at the word double, the letter P, the word media. Also, don't forget, I've got a contest going on. Bubba, I've had over 8,000 views of my contest video. Over 8,000. I've never had that many views on anything that I've ever done, I don't think. You don't deserve it, but on this you do. Well, I mean, folks, I mean, it's true. I I normally don't even deserve 100 views. But, you know, when people hear a $100 gift card from Amazon might be available, then they they tend to click. And... After 8,000 views, I have not a single entry. I don't know what kind of bot got a hold of this and mm. why it keeps getting circulated around on YouTube, but evidently, uh, you know, and 8,000 views isn't that much in YouTube, folks. I know. I'm not that old. I do realize that people are getting millions of views on things. But, we got to TikTok this, apparently. We got to get yeah. this on TikTok to where the people are. Oh, TikTok. Yes. Uh, at any rate, the... The whole idea here is, is that you listen to five things that I mispronounced. The person with the most correct guesses of what Mm -hmm. I mispronounced doesn't even have to be all five. Just whoever guessed the most. And right now, if you only guess one, you would have guessed the most because nobody else has guessed. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, here's your chance to win a $100 gift card from Amazon on me so that after you spent all that money on the holidays for everybody else, you can get something for yourself. Not me. I'm getting out myself out an extra hundred bucks because this is on me, me personally. Oh, wow. But you only have until New Year's Eve to enter. You'll find the the link for that video in the show notes, or you can leave a comment on any of the Double P Media YouTube videos, Mm -hmm. or you can just send an email if you'd rather not give your guesses away to everybody else in public. You can send them to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com. You know, M-A-T-T-S, audioblog at gmail.com. I want you to be a winner. I don't want to be the person giving myself a $100 gift card. And I promise you. You've earned that, it. Come on, give it to yourself. Well, uh, you know, it's not really giving anything if it, I'm the one that's also buying it. Matt, but, this is the season of giving. That's true. And I deserve it. What we want you to do, we want you to enter that contest and to tell us how you feel about part two of season six. Speaking of which, I want to get this off right across the bat because folks that have been listening to this podcast, I've probably already noticed that there hasn't been any music. And the reason that that is, is because during our season four or season six, episode four podcast, we got not one, but two different comments on your YouTube video that the music might not have been appropriate, probably because I was spilling my guts out about, you know, grief and all of this other stuff at the same time, because what we were doing was we was playing the standard beds that we always play for those particular segments. I've always believed that brand is more important (laughs) than subject matter. (laughs) And so uh, if you felt that that music was inappropriate, we we apologize. We're going to do you a solid this time around. We're not going to play any music. It won't take really that much away from the podcast. It's just something a little extra in the background usually, but I don't want to make anybody mad. Uh, because that's not what I do. Uh, right. Well, that was a special. Fun. That was a special instance. We were we, we were playing the normal music, but we were talking about the tragic death of Princess Diana. So so it was a odd to it was odd to hear the the classic music with the background of okay these terrible uh, events happened, and so I think people understand uh, with if the, if and when our music comes back that hey we're we're 
it'd certainly be good for this sixth episode, which opens with a, a crazy, uh, you know, a nightmare for the queen dream. So uh, hopefully people will give us that slack. Here's your 65 second recap of Will's Mania. Harry has a drinking problem and William has a thinking problem as Charles complains to Anne and to Camilla about his difficulties with William. William himself returns to school, is counseled by his housemaster, Dr. Gailey, and receives lots of wonderful letters from his classmates, as well as thousands of letters from adoring teenagers. Daddy wants to go on a skiing trip with some public appearances along the way, and William, who has already suffered the onslaught from the public, doesn't like it. Charles turns to his mother and Philip for help, and Philip starts to get introspective about his own role as a father. He visits William and helps William to see where William's anger is coming from. William and Charles find middle ground in grief, and William confronts his grief by visiting his mother's grave. Also, here's your 65-second recap of Ruritania which written by Daniel Mark Jaynes and Peter Morgan, directed by Eric Richter-Strand. Uh, your synopsis is eager to improve the monarchy's public image. The Queen seeks out savvy statesman Tony Blair, but the Prime Minister's advice defies royal protocol. Ooh. The episode begins with a bizarre nightmare of the Queen's where Tony Blair is made king. While Prime Minister Tony Blair's popularity soars due to speeches given on foreign policy, both at home and abroad, Queen Elizabeth is distraught when focus groups tell her that the monarch's popularity is decreasing, even as she gives speeches to the Women's Institute. She asks for Blair's assistance to fix her perception problem, and in typical government fashion, a committee decides what would be best for the royalty to give up, including several positions of tradition. To explore this option, the Queen and Private Secretary Fellows interview several of the positions in question and find meaning in each of them. The question of what to do is put before the family, and while Charles argues for some change, others argue against, and the Queen makes a decision that monarchy should be magnificent and special. She tells Prime Minister Blair that nothing will change and warns him about the Women's Institute. But he goes and does his own thing anyway, and finds a disapproving audience. Bubba, we're yeah. at that point where we have to spin the tiny wheel of topics. Let's do it. Let's go. Whoa, what are the odds that in this episode about fathers and sons, that's where it landed first? Um, I guess, Matt, the tiny wheel doesn't of topics doesn't break this down, but... When we talk about fathers and sons, there's certainly a focus on Charles and Williams. There's certainly a bit of a focus on Philip and Charles. There's also a grandfather and grandson, Philip and William. And maybe there's even a Charles and... Um, yes. Harry. Charles and Harry. So oh. which one do you want to talk to on first? Okay. Uh, gee whiz. Well, I, I think the one that for me is kind of a twofold between Philip and everybody else. Because what I really was moved by, and there's this one look that Jonathan Price gives at the very end of this episode that just killed me. He's watching Charles and Will hug, and then 
he starts to look away. And as he looks down, his lip drops just a little bit. And I thought to myself, there's a guy who really feels terrible about the way he treated his own son. And this is a gift that he's giving Charles. He's bringing Will back to him. That was incredibly moving to me. Matt, we can hear it in your voice. I almost don't want to follow up on it. Um, you've mentioned at the beginning, you haven't always been a fan of Philip. Philip has always kind of had little moments like this, though. So do you want to go further into what What do you think it's going through Philip's mind when he when he does when he steps in like he does? Yeah, well, you, when you see him go through those films and everything, you know, and Charles is basically asking him and Elizabeth for help. And he starts going through all those films and he sees the dad that showed up on film, the dad that he should have always been. And he even admits to Will, you know, the person that he's never been, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, or have been very few times. I mean, I think he's sensing his own mortality and he's trying to make up for past mistakes. And I mean, what else can you ask of a father? That's wow. Yeah. You know, no, it is something that sadly you don't know if it's because of a show or because of the presentation. We don't get many moments like this. We do not get many moments like this. And Philip on the show in the most recent seasons had really been disapproving of his own son, Charles, in the way Charles's marriage fell apart and those kind of things. And so it is a nice change for this character. I'm, st I'm still, I'll, let me say this, that I, I hear the emotion and I know how it touched you. For me, I'm still not, I don't know if I could ever get on the show's version of Philip just because of, uh, you know, I, I guess maybe I don't forget and forgive quite as much. And so I, I appreciated it, but there are too many moments, even when we get to the next episode, episode six, where Philip is just too ingrained in the way he is. And so I, I don't know if I'll ever truly, you know, be on team Philip. Yeah. His ingrainment, I have learned to forgive as the fact that he feels like he's protecting Elizabeth. He's a pr protecting her way. Um, and that hasn't always been the case. I mean, we can go back to season two and we can it see has not what, always a, been what a jerk he, he was yes. in season two. Let's go to kind of what the real focus is about Charles and his son, William. William not only is getting the recognition, you know, kind of the... Uh, oversized outpouring of love that his mother got, he also seems much more, dare I say it, down to earth and kind of human like his mother was and not so stiff upper lip as the way his father is, the way the show is portraying these two characters. And so it's always going to be tough because they were raised differently that to see these two come together. So what did you like or dislike about Charles and Williams, you know, kind of being able to grieve together, I guess is the way I'd call that hug at the end. Yeah, uh, that that's where I kind of placed it at too, is they kind of find a middle ground in mm -hmm. grief, as sad yeah. as that sounds to say, um, because they don't have any other direction to go really, except towards each other. Um, 
for William, who at that time is still, what, 15? You know, I think that his processing is probably pretty damn, damn normal, you know? Yes. Oh, the, yes. The, the, I, 100%. Uh, I would be like that, too. I have been like that, too, at times, so. Yeah, and um, as far as Charles is concerned, um, you get a little taken aback by... You know, some of the things that Will confronts him with in that meeting where he thought he was meeting with with uh, Pa and Granny. And he says, you know, because not the things about Diana specifically, but the things about I'm like her, you resent me, you know, and those are just misinterpretations by William. But Charles even admits that it's strange for him, you know, and that's there's nothing wrong with that either. Um, because this is the woman that, you know, this child that's standing in front of him was made with the woman that he has outshone and doesn't really like being outshone, which by the way, most of that stuff is, you talked about how this, none of it seems real from what I gather, William not liking attention is the who is, is complete hooey. You know, it's it's horse hockey or whatever no. you want to call it. Um, he he doesn't you know, he doesn't like the intrusion or from what I gather from accounts from like uh, Harry's spare book or whatever. Um, no one would. Who who would who would like that kind of intrusion? But that kind of outward hatred towards the public is not something that um, William really ever expressed during this time. That was that was drama for drama's sake. And which, you know, what are you going to do? Just have an episode of people, everybody just kind of moping around? You, you can't, you know, trying to process their own grief. You've got to make it dramatic. So you've got to create this kind of conflict. But that seems much more contrived to me than any, you know, whether Will looks like he's 30 or not. Uh, to no, me, that's boy, the part yeah. that, that seems very contrived for the sake of drama but it was good drama so i'm not complaining um do you you know i mentioned harry do you want to mention harry at all in this he's the dare i say just by the line of succession he almost has the freedom to be himself and not be so micromanaged any thoughts on on this uh, new actor and what, and what does he do with that time? freedom i it, you know what this actor was great i had a harder time believing that he was the same kid six months later than i did will being the same kid six months later because that kid in in the yes, in part no. one was tiny <laughs> you know and i don't think anybody shoots up quite that much or looks that much older in the face but uh the drinking and everything he's you know it's very it's it's very similar to the parallel with Margaret, isn't it? Being the number two, being more the freedom to be more wild and everything, and maybe taking it just a little bit too far. I thought that that was very interesting, and and you know I loved that little uh, that little disapproving look that Charles gave Will and Harry uh, after the photographs when he realized that the two of them were drinking champagne, he could smell the alcohol and he just kind of sneers at him a little bit. I thought that was great. That's good. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't do anything like a, you would think a parent would, but he mm. just kind of, just kind of looks him at like, what are you doing? You know? And, and it almost gives off the impression of well, you're going to ruin this for me. <laughs> well, 
Well, that, I think you're getting to an interesting point, and that is that, you know, we always talk about people grieve differently. Sometimes people want to grieve alone, and then some people need other people to be with them to grieve. And if, if they're alone in their grief, you know, you can have just natural dramatic conflict because of because once again, people do handle these things differently. And so to me, again, the the specifics of this did not ring true in any way, but kind of the emotional truth underneath it is why I was so strong on this episode. Oh, and, okay. you know, just, you know, we, we're talking about fathers and sons because this is what it felt like the episode's really focus was on, but this is true of kind of almost any relationship, even non-family relationships about how people connect and how everyone just is a unique and honest person with their own honest feelings. Well, how did you feel now that the wheel is spun again about the fact that they did portray William in this way? That, you know, he does have all the popularity of his mother naturally. And that, of course, is true. Um, but they've put this spin on it to make him very anti that. Um, well, yeah, you're right. If, if if what I would say is in this moment, I'm taking it more about in this moment. And admittedly, you would say, well, what about when they were like, God, do we have to take this photo by the creek of our dad in a kilt? And so uh, I understand the issue about that. But I would say that to me, he's it, it's believable. And in, in two episodes or three episodes, it's suddenly like he's grown comfortable with it. You know, you wouldn't have to spend a lot of time for me as a viewer to understand, OK, he 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 in these moments after his mom died, he's been very down. But now he's, you know, up and OK. So, yeah. And maybe part of it is even uh, explained by his talk with Philip in the fact that you know, Philip basically pinpoints, you know, you can't be mad at your mother. So you got to be mad at everything else and you're being mad at everything else. Yeah. Um, so it could be, it could be just a grief thing. Um, so I can't disagree with you there. And as the wheel spins again, let, okay. let's talk about somebody who actually made sense. And that's yeah. triple C. Triple C. Yeah, Camilla knows Charles all too mm -hmm. well. Yeah, that's spelled with a C. C N O W S. No? Okay. Um, <laughs> so not a triple C. Anyway, I adored Camilla in this episode. Making sense about where priorities should be lied should lie for Charles. Um, because you do see, and Dominic, again, I want to say Dominic West was absolutely fabulous in this episode. Um, just, talk about somebody who doesn't look at any, anything like Prince Charles. He does give a very good performance of, of a, a character the, type, I guess I would the say. Gestures, that works well. Yeah. The gestures and the mannerisms just seem like Charles to me, mm -hmm. you know, it, even if, even if they aren't accurate completely or whatever it, and I'm not the person to say that I'm not a judge of that or not I'm just saying that when I see him do that thing it doesn't matter what he looks like the character Charles the character of Charles comes across to me mm. and uh, the character of Camilla is somebody who I just absolutely fell in love with this episode because she's saying you know you can talk about how it's so hard with your sons and everything but that's your job dude <laughs> you know and I loved all of that. I, 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 
think that that those two scenes of of her on the phone with him and her ability to to keep a sense of humor and keep his spirits up you know well, you don't know anything but i'll tell you when you know something and i'll let you know you know all of those little things just i loved all of that how did you feel about camilla in this episode one thing this show has always done in its portrayal of this character camilla is they've always had her kind of a matter of fact realist like okay this is what it is and it's so funny in these earlier episodes even in this season charles is always like we need mark ballen to do some pr for camilla camilla really needed the crown to come out way back then because this is the best pr she's ever gotten like she's she's great especially in this episode a hundred percent absolutely and, and and as far as charles goes himself and i know we kind of already talked about it and everything we look back at the last two seasons, season four and season five, and we see him being dreadful to Diana, you know, and how accurate a lot of that is or isn't doesn't really matter to me as a character. He was absolutely dreadful to her. Right. But for the first time in this whole series... And I'm not justifying it. I'm not saying that it's the correct thing to do. But I can say that I can see why Charles was so adamant about staying with Camila, about keeping that relationship going in some way or shape or fashion. Mm -hmm. This episode demonstrates to me exactly why. And there's nothing to tell me that she hasn't been that way his whole life. So I loved that demonstration, how it kind of brings everything from the earlier seasons into focus. And again, doesn't justify it. Charles was a flat out bleep the word out here. But now I understand what the stakes were for him, I guess is what I'm saying. As somebody who those earlier seasons, they're so fun to enjoy for history. Like, oh, I wasn't alive at these times. Teach me about the history show. It's not just engaging drama. It's also like, oh, this room, this makes me want to look up these things in history. Now that we've reached portions where I was alive, I really do need the characters and, and their emotional uh, confl- conflicts to pull me through. And two episodes into part two, I'm really enjoying it. Oh, there was one more on the topic, Bubba, and what? that was uh, Dr. Gailey, the housemaster at Eden. Um, I just that wanted guy, to say that. That actor, he's so great on um, on The Gilded Age on HBO now. So, yeah, it's good to good to see him get more work. All right, let's go. Yes, I, I, liked, I liked him in the episode. I also, you know, he was trying to get at the thing that Philip got to in just a few sentences, you know, for drama's sake. But he was trying to get William to take a step back to take a look at things. Yeah, but this is is a family thing, you know? Yeah, that's true. And the other thing that I liked was that, uh, you know, when Charles and Anne were talking about, you know, William going back to Eaton, how Anne was kind of like, well, he needs his friends. He needs to toughen up. He doesn't need you, blah, blah, blah. You know, that typical line that actually stems out of Elizabeth. Elizabeth was never a present mother, really, for Charles or Anne. If you remember back in the earlier episodes, she was always sending them off to places, especially in season two. She was just, you know, oh, go go to this woman's house for their son's birthday party. I'm sorry, I can't go. I know I promised I would, but now I can't go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love how that sense of 
being isolated is, I mean, I don't love it, but I mean, I, I love how it's exemplified that that was the lesson that both Charles and Anne learned in regards to parenting. Hmm. You know, that, you know, that the fact that your actions do matter. And I, I just loved how that was demonstrated just by the difference between their attitudes and Dr. Gally Gailey's attitude. Mm -hmm. Any other oddball things that we want to talk about for this episode now that we've gone to the therapy couch several no, times? No, I, I want to say, why don't you get a big wheel of topics? That way we won't have trouble reading these tiny things like the one we almost forgot because you could so small you couldn't see it. Well, because... We need, to, we need somebody to enter this contest and win so we can get rid of all this junk and then get a big wheel of topics one time. Well, it, it makes a funny sound. That's why I like this, the wheel of topics, because it makes a funny sound. Uh, and a bigger bigger one just sounds like wheel of fortune, but a smaller one sounds like a little toy spinning, and I like that. Okay, so the well, let's we know it's on there, even if it's hard to read. We know Tony Blair is going to be a big part of the discussion of this episode. You were mentioning when we were giving our mini kind of reviews of these first two episodes, you know, you're like, boy, Blair is great in his speech in Chicago. You know, this is real world. I was living in Chicago at the time that Tony Blair was uh, giving really? that speech. I was right. It was right after college. So, so exciting to see. And he and Clinton, this is something if you maybe were too young to realize, he and Clinton really were kind of a bunch of a, a lot of youthful energy into heads of state that at least here in the united states and probably in england if you're talking about thatcher and stuff but here in the united states with old man reagan and an old square george w bush you know clinton really was a breath of fresh fresh air and the show's presenting tony as kind of that for the uk as well so just fascinating to see i don't think that i ever really considered tony blair that much of a statesman Oh, I did. Uh, I did back I, then. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure that I did. I'm not sure that I paid much attention to him. It, to, for me, it was, you know, here's Bill Clinton. He's playing on a saxophone. That's cool. I play a saxophone. Let's go. Um, and, you know, it was youthful. And like you said, but I don't think I ever associated that with Tony Blair myself. Um, and to go back now, yeah, being a little older and a little more mature, very uh, much older. Than I was, yes. you know, straight out of college and and shortly after when I was just you know a drunk musician for like six years. Mm -hmm. uh, now looking at the perspective and and seeing these speeches, these particular speeches, and and the doctrine that came out of the one to the Chicago Economic Council, I really um, gathered. A lot more, I mean, there were lots of things that Blair did later on that, that kind of turned his own country against him, but I really gained a new respect for who he was during the Clinton years. But like you, I wasn't much of a person who paid a whole lot of attention to um, yeah, ho hold our on. friends across the pond. Yeah, hold on. What, what do you mean like me? I, I I wasn't a royal watcher, but I was I was a, aware of the news. I was I was aware of all these things. Don't say like you. Hey, I, I knew who Tony Blair was. I knew about all these issues that were happening. Well, I knew who then. he was. You know, I knew what Serbia was. I, you know, um, and later on, of course, the involvement um, with 
the Iraqi war and Desert Storm and all of yeah, that. That's going to really cause them some troubles for sure. But these were truly like outside of his faux pas with the Women's Institute. These were really inspirational speeches. The press conference about Serbia and and the address to the Economic Council, I thought was great. Um, he won me over. Oh, boy. This one, just in my opinion, still looking back at history, this one we did need to step in and, and say, if you go and tour Europe and go to some of these places, you know, like Dubrovnik, where they film a lot of Game of Thrones, this beautiful city by the sea, you walk around the city walls and you can still see like shot up roofs and bullet holes. You're like, oh, my goodness, this, this was a horrific war. I want to say that the person who really uh, struck me was uh, Tony Blair's wife, Cherie. Is that how you pronounce it? Cherie? She was great. Not yes. only was her Clinton accent great, she she should be an honorary American, all the stuff she was saying. Like, why are we doing this archaic ridiculousness? Oh, I, I thought she was perfect. Even yeah. even if, even by the end of the episode, I'm like, well, okay, let this guy who watches the swans keep his title and keep doing his things. At the same time, every time she spoke, I was like, yeah, she's right. She's right. You know, I love the very first episode of this season where she mockingly said, you know, we've got a play date with the future king. You know, uh, that that was fun. Um, she yes. seems like a fun. Uh, she was a fun addition to this story. Yeah, don't blame wrong. me. I voted for Cherie. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so we've talked a little bit about a couple of the subtopics, but let's do talk about the Women's Institute. Never speak politics to the Women's Institute. Hmm. It's the one thing that the queen had over him all the time. Uh you know, that she knew better. And I loved uh, that because the way that those women protested wasn't rude. Well, a little rude. But yeah, rude in on, the getting right... up and leaving? I'm speaking. You're just... No, the, the, I, was talking about the, I was talking about the slow applause. I thought that that oh, was okay. hilarious. And that actually happened, evidently. So I'm, I'm really... And the chairperson had to tell everybody to calm down or whatever. And I don't know how many people actually left or didn't. But it was a very awkward moment for him. And I found it hilarious. I found it funny. Oh. Um, yeah. I just found it great. I loved it. Don't tell women that kind of stuff. Here they, you know, she goes, the queen goes in and says, you know, it's important, all of these traditions that you've kept and all of these things done. And he comes in and he says, traditions aren't important. Let's move on. Let's modernize. Let's do this. <laughs> let's do that. And, you know, bad selection of audience to spring that one on. <laughs> you know, uh, his his Mark Boland really Mark Boland, if you know what I mean. Well, you've just got to know how to how to, you know, he probably could have said all of those things. But in the way he said it. Oh my goodness! He made yeah, some was, tough was, he, his presentation skills in this particular speech. The way it's presented on the show, not good. Dismissive and demeaning, and it, I I love the way they stood up to it. All right, Bubba, what was your favorite moment from the dream? Well, when anybody gets to get up in that royal garb, which you know a second ago I'm like, boy, yeah, all this is ridiculous hoo ha. I, I uh, the favorite part of the dream is seeing him in that royal garb, like holy smokes, this is really it. How fun! How crazy! What a 
what once again, a, you don't use the word fun with this show too much, but what a fun way to start an episode. I really enjoyed it. What was your favorite part of the dream? Well, I, I just want to say this first. When you just see Elizabeth walking down the street, I was completely taken about. I didn't even think about it being a dream. I was just like thinking about it, her walking through memories or something like that. Until it got to the point where they started talking, the sign of Tony Blair is king. <laughs> and it's been 50 years since our last coronation and blah, blah, blah. I just started laughing immediately. And then it got to the the ceremony itself and seeing Philip and Charles and all of them just staring at him like, what the heck? And the, the radio announcer saying, of course, the queen wouldn't attend. She is destroyed, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and uh, King Tony, that that struck me. And then the kids started singing, and I lost it. I was, I was like, that's the funniest this show has ever been. That was perfect. That was perfectly done. And after such a heavy episode that episode five was for me, I really needed that moment. Oh, oh, okay. So thank you, Peter Morgan, for doing that for me because I really needed that moment. Uh, and, and everything was right with the world again. Uh, so... <laughs> I I absolutely adored the dream. You see that and you're like, this show's going to take me on a ride. Let's go. Exactly. And it was a nice way to dress up the, uh, you know, the thing that was going to let you down, which was the old, a, a, an argument as old as time itself. Yes. The, you know, how important is the monarchy? I think it's very important as we look at the last item of the wheel as it magically came up because it's the last topic that we have to discuss orders and customs. So I've already given like, you know, how excited I was by the interviews and, and how pleading I was that nobody should take any of these positions away. Uh, give me the Lord Admiral of the wash, please. Um, it wasn't you know. some guy like head of sand. Me what <laughs> talk about a tough job. <laughs> dad, dad, I want to go work at McDonald's. No, you're going to track the sand. That's what we do in our family. Uh, how crazy, how fun. Why am I in support of this? But I'm in support of it. It makes, you know, I can't explain it, but I was in support of it. Let's go. Exactly. I loved Elizabeth's conclusion, though, and that little monologue that modernity is not always the answer. Sometimes antiquity is, too. Hmm. And it made me think back to remember back in season one, that huge debate about whether Philip would kneel to the queen or right. not, or, you know, the fact that the tent had to be put over, which they also did for King Charles um, when he was anointed. This, this is an event that is not to be broadcast. You know, it's the, it's, it's the mystique of it all. It's what makes them the head of the church. Not just the monarch, but the head of the church is the mystery of that. And I'm, I'm, I'm all here for that show, that feeling of mystique and antiquity that um, I think for many people who are royal watchers, um, that's really, really important. Uh, well, well, let's go. Let's go a bit further. Is it just putting a face to a name? Your reaction had to have been like mine when you hear these titles. I mean, this is this is comically outdated, comically ridiculous. Now, because there's a because there is a face to the name, you know, this guy is the you know 
royal head of sand. You know, I don't want this poor guy to lose his job. But do you? Is it just that? Like, if we had never seen this guy, would we be? Would we be willing to go? Okay, sand dude. You know, it, it's time to get with the times. What? How were they able to convince us Americans that? Yeah, okay, this. The seeming a guy who his specialty is folding napkins. Give me a break. How how have they been able to convince us to be like, okay, I guess we need the napkin folder. Two words for you, Bubba. Let's hear it. Martin Phipps. It's a thing that I'm going to be covering in the musical analysis. Mm. Um, you don't understand how powerful that music is underneath there uh, in psychological ways. Uh, it really worked for me. And I'm glad I was able to separate myself enough to identify why. But like I said, though, I was kind of even sold before. When you see a bunch of people dressed as insanely and wonderfully as those people were dressed, as you saw at the beginning of this YouTube where I wear a jester hat to every podcast. Yeah, you'd I, be the one. No, no amount of background music would convince me to keep your job. I'd make sure you were fired. That's all I, I would be fired I, without oh, doubt. God. My thank personality, God. my interview with the Queen would have gone very poorly. But <laughs> I just absolutely seeing all those people relegated to sitting in a line in chairs, mm -hmm. waiting their turn. Yes. There was something that was so human about that that it didn't matter to me what their titles were. Uh, I, I was ready. Okay. I was ready to root for them. All right, I, I I can accept that, folks. We've got some history notes regarding that and many other things. Uh, no music this time, I promise. So anything that seems drab <laughs> right. or, or we do not want that music going when you're talking about the <laughs> Serbian War. No, please, no. There will be no music while I'm talking about the Serbian War uh, this time around. Here are your history notes for Season 6, Episode 5, Wilsmania. The princes did, in fact, visit Whistler for skiing the week of April 3rd, 1998. That, according to Peak News Magazine. Also, according to Variety.com, Prince William really was mobbed by girls during their work-slash-vacation to Canada just like in the show. Another supplement for episode five, the gravesite shown that Will visits is close to the way it would have looked back at the time in 1998. Sources, The Mirror, and The U.S. Sun, and as a supplementary, there is a tour of the gravesite area, though not the grave itself, that can be found on YouTube. You will find all of those links in the show notes. For episode 6, regarding the Serbia situation, in March of 1999, Blair addressed both Parliament and the country as airstrikes begin. You can watch his address to Parliament, courtesy of C-SPAN. On April 22, 1999, Blair addressed the Economic Club of Chicago. That address later became known by the media as the Blair Doctrine, or also known as the Doctrine of the International Community source the Chicago Tribune. In other events, Private Secretary Robert Fellows actually resigned as Private Secretary in 1999, not following the U.S. presidential election in 2000. In 1977, Fellows was recruited to join the Royal Household as Assistant Private Secretary. 
He spent the next 20 years in the private secretary's office, becoming deputy in 1986 and private secretary in 1990. Fellows held the position for nine years. Source, thesun.com. In June of 2000, Tony Blair did get heckled by a 10,000-strong gathering of the Women's Institute. The heckling began when Blair started to list examples of government action to extend opportunity and was followed by slow clapping when he started talking about NHS reform. His response was reportedly tut-tutted, with audience members saying it was a party lecture and not a debate. Source, the Radio Times. On December 9th of 2000, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in favor of the stay of the recount of the state of Florida, according to Wikipedia and History.com. The question Variety.com asks is, is there such a thing as the yeoman of the glass and china pantry and a warden of the swans? And the answer is yes. The yeoman of the glass and china pantry is responsible for everything from unpacking glasses to folding 170 monogrammed napkins into the Dutch bonnets before a state banquet at Buckingham Palace. The warden of the swans is in charge of what's called swan-upping which means the annual swan census. By law, the monarch owns all of the mute swans in Britain. Finally, the Independent tells us that the royal family are reported to have used focus groups over the years, although it is not known if the queen directly requested any focus groups herself. Again, that source, theindependent.co.uk, you'll find all of these links in the show notes. Time to play our silly games. This is Finally. where we do get to be silly Finally. about serious subjects. Yes, please. Uh, and this game is, in fact, called What's Worse? Mm. First question that we have to ask ourselves is, who wants to ask the first question? And then the person who asks that question gets to pick and tells the other person to answer it. And whichever way they answer this two-fold question, yes. the person who asks the question must argue the opposite side. So the first thing we have to determine, Bubba, is will you ask the first question or will you make me? You do it. Come on. It's your show. Let's go. Here we go, Bubba. This, yes. this is tough. Let's hear it. When you're younger, yes. whiskey or beer, what's worse? Oh, my God. God, they're both terrible when you're a kid. Boy, how how old is is Harry supposed to be at this I think point? He's like thirteen or something at that age. Oh my God, what happened to this kid that he can enjoy either? I would say that somehow, some way, whiskey is actually worse. But when I was that age, all alcohol was like, "You got to be kidding me!" Yuck, Bubba. That that's yes. an excellent point. You get get anything else there? Sorry, no, so I, my official vote is whiskey, and it's not even close. Just because beer, there are other flavors in it that can kind of distract you. Uh, you know, kind of the weedy flavor can maybe distract you from the terrible taste. Where whiskey, it is just straight up yuck. Okay. I enjoy your argument. You're right. completely wrong, and here's why. What? I hate wheat. Anything oh, no. wheat. 
I don't like being healthy. I don't like eating wheat bread. All my life, because I've been a diabetic, I've had to eat wheat bread. I've had to eat all of these wonderfully healthy things in order mm -hmm. to keep my blood sugar from being 700. Guess oh, what no. beer tastes like? It tastes like liquid wheat. It's awful. Okay. You know, whis whiskey, at least the alcohol is so strong that you lose the wheat taste. You taste more of the barrel. You taste mm. more of that. When, when you're drinking Bud Light, what do you taste? Water and wheat. It's awful. Okay, Kid Rock, sure. Um, uh, you know, I'm not going to shoot them up. I'm not going to pull out a machine gun and shoot them. But right. I, I am going to tell you that, you know, if you're 13, don't yeah. drink. All right. Way so, to take a, a, a big stand. If you're 13, don't drink. Boy, yeah, I'm not sure well, anyone's I, that's more to go than out Charles on that ledge with you. That's more than Charles did. All he did was the sneer kids at him are and, and turn his back. The kids are mourning. Let him, let him mourn. One time. Come on. One time. More like every time those two are together, they're drinking. All right, Bubba, what's the other question? Okay, so now let's get to something really. You ready? All right. All right. What is worse? relying on your brother's aim to get something into your mouth. So this is Harry trying to get something into your brother's mouth. Or you're so old and senile, you need an old movie projector to help you remember things. Like, oh, I should be a good father. What's worse? <laughs> have you have you tried to pull out an old 8mm film and play I one did a lot. Recently? I did a lot uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, that stuff is not easy to deal with, for sure. I mean, that stuff, you got to be real careful how you handle it. It can yes. break down just the acid from your fingers. Of course. Um, you know, as, as somebody who recently went to uh, school for a master's in library science, uh, use gloves, people. Whenever you're handling old film, please use gloves. Sure. Uh, also, the machinery will break down on you. Uh, the, the, the film quality no matter how careful you've been with the film, is still going to be grainy. There's a reason why on all of these video programs now they have that that old film type uh, effect that you can put on things. It's because that's the way film really is after it's yeah. been sitting in a can for a long time. Oh, yeah, so. Why do you think, uh, you know, they, had, they have been so, the National Archives has been so strong to try and digitize all of these films. Think of, you know, there's, Bubba, some of our favorite films, some of our Star Wars films are dying mm -hmm. in a can, no matter how cold those are being kept in a, in a refrigerator. Ice cold, um, yeah. You know, it, it's it's awful. Don't, mm -hmm. don't mess with old film, folks. That's worse. Okay, so Matt went with it's worse to, you know, uh, pull out these old films. Of course, you, you used good films. You didn't mention, oh, don't you think it's bad that the Leprechaun series is dying in a film camp somewhere? Because no one would say, ah, oh, no, you know, the, you know, thank God it's dying. Maybe you won't have to watch that Drek anymore. <laughs> What's worse is stuff going in your mouth that's been in your brother's hands. Now, boys, especially teenage boys, hygiene is not number one, number two, number three, number 452 on the list of things they care about. So if it's in my brother's hand and he's going to try to get it into my mouth, yuck, gross. I'd rather have old celluloid in my, in my mouth. I know where it's been. So what's worse? Harry's hands. There you go. I win. <laughs> Folks, we'll put it on a poll to determine who actually wins. What? Uh, you can find those polls 
at LittleBitPod on the site formerly known as Twitter. Be sure to reach out to us. You can also reach out to at the word double letters PHQ on all of the social medias and let us know what you're thinking about part two of season six. We've got a lot of feedback coming up regarding uh, part one, which yes. we really adore you for submitting. It's we been do. wonderful to get all of that. Uh, but we want to hear more because, you know, do you, would you rather sit and listen to us no. talk for, you know, God knows how long Please, no. spewing the, especially me spewing my thoughts when you can actually hear us just read somebody else's great thoughts. I mean, that's what I'd rather do. So be one of those people who submits great thoughts uh, so that I don't have to listen to Bubba's opinions anymore. Please. Season six, episode six. What's worse? Bubba, are you going to ask or me? You always start, Matt. This is this is you get the choice to lose. No, Do you right. want to lose the, is... with the first question or the second? All right. This this is going to be fun. Um, I'm going to ask you the question, and I am going to ask. Whew, this is right up your alley, Bubba. What's worse, being born into the position of yeoman of the glass in China pantries, mm -hmm. or being born into the position? Of the high Lord High Admiral of the Wash. Okay, so this one we're gonna I'm gonna touch on both, so I'm gonna kind of destroy your argument ahead of time, Matt. So I apologize, but but you know, talk about the two positions: the Yeoman of the Glass and China Pantry. This dude is obsessed with folding napkins. That is pretty pretty bad. Now let's talk about the. Lord High Admiral of the Wash. Now, I'm pretty sure I'm going to slightly confuse him with the dude who dealt with sand, but isn't it like, well, this is what the tidal basin looks like at this time? So you would rather be born into that guy because who's going to who's gonna challenge you? You're telling me this wash has, has moved over here a bit and now the sand collects more here than it does there? Nobody's, you know, you can goof off. Nobody's going to come in and say, hey, the wash moves slightly. You've got it wrong on your documents. Nobody's going to care. But if you don't get that napkin folded right, hell, off with your head. So it is much worse being born into the position of yeoman of the glass in China Pantry. It's well, just you're facts. You're absolutely wrong, and here's why. Wrong. Yes. Because. Because. When you are the yeoman of the glass and the China Pantry. Mm-hmm. You're using napkins to make sure that everything's polished. You're yes. using napkins to protect whatever's breaking and you're folding them, which people are using. Who has to wash all of that? The Admiral of the Wash. Oh, wait, the Admiral the wash of the is Wash is in charge clothes? of all of the linens. In I gotta this. wash these napkins? Wait, what? So I, I think it is much worse to be the Admiral of the Watch because I don't have enough tide for that. I just don't. Wow. 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 Well, now I feel terrible. So wait a minute. You're telling me as the wash is meaning like the washing machine. I, I, I got to wash stuff. It's not like the wash of a, of a, of the sand. Okay. So I got that completely wrong. I would still rather listen to me. Have you ever used, well, maybe uh, I got it completely you know, wrong, no, but no, that's no, my no. argument. You're, you're I'm right. You're to right. It. Have you ever, you know, used, used a uh, uh, tide? That stuff cleans everything. I don't have to do any work. Whether, no what matter I just what said, I don't I'm have doing. enough tide, Bubba. I don't have you enough. You do. Listen, the queen, the the tide, the admiral of the tides is going to come help me clean this wash. That's what it's going to be. <laughs> okay. With that being said, it's time for musical analysis. Folks, I know not all of you are into the music thing. I, it's the one thing that I do that's kind of unique to everybody else. 
totally unique. But, well, not totally. There are great podcasts out there that analyze all kinds of great music. I, they suck. Uh, you were the best. Well, uh, I am the best. Uh, Hell yeah. But but if you don't think that I'm at the best at it, you can skip ahead 11 minutes and you'll be done with it. So as we begin this musical analysis, let's look at the songs that are under the purview of music supervision. That's the tunes that Phipps doesn't compose. And in episode five of season six, we have My Favorite Game by the Cardigans, as Will wakes up. We also have Scalia of Glaucus. Boy, I probably mispronounced that, but it's Jean-Marie Leclerc. That's the opera-type song that's being played on the radio. We then have Charles switching it to another station where we hear Torn by Natalie Imbruglia. And the next piece probably is performed in secular music often. However, I did not know it. Uh, the one being performed by the choir, as well as sitting there at Eaton. I could not figure out what that tune was. So if you know, please, once again, let me know. At LilibitPod on the site formerly known as Twitter. Or you can send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com. And that takes care of the music supervision for that episode. Now... There's a couple of things, and you heard me in my prior musical analysis episode over part one, where I was confused a little bit about the continuity of certain themes being used in certain situations. I speculated in that podcast that it's probably likely because of the director's influence or how the piece makes you feel. This time around, I've found similar incontinuities. However, I think I might be focusing more now on the fact that thematically what these tunes represent is being stretched across various situations. For instance, in episode five, you have a lot of portrayal of the theme Aberfan from the season three official soundtrack. And that makes sense because Will is dealing with with the tragedy of the loss of his mother. Another theme that represents tragedy when you consider where it was first introduced in the episode Empathy of House, I believe that was season five, and I think it was in the season five official soundtrack, that was also used for a scene with Will in this particular episode. Again, thematically, it represents tragedy. Regardless of who that tragedy is pinned to when it first is employed by the television show, you can then take that feeling of tragedy or that theme of tragedy and you can apply those themes to multiple situations. Moving on to episode six, let's look at the music supervision first. There's a version of dreams, things can only get better. That was during the Queen's dream at King Tony's coronation. Oh my gosh, that was hilarious. I loved that version. Wonderful arrangement, too. But the rights to do that performance, of course, had to be directed through the music supervision. And then I'm not sure who did the arrangement. It might have been Phipps. It might have been somebody else. But the boys' choir... Singing that song was absolutely amazing, and I loved the orchestral arrangement behind it. It was perfect. 
Again, that song, Dream, or Dream, I think is actually how most people say it, but it's like D-Ream. Things can only get better. Then as the queen wakes up, she, of course, has to struggle and find the radio just to make sure that she's still who she is. And she hears a version of God Save the Queen that, of course, composed by Henry Carey, I think the late 17th century probably is when that was composed. And another piece for the Women's Institute is entitled Jerusalem. That's the song that they sing both when the Queen visits and when Tony Blair visits later. It has that lyric in there, and sometimes it's even referred to this song, and did those feet in ancient time. Sir Hubert Perry composed that piece and two wonderful performances of that. So let's now talk about some other incontinuities that have actually worked out to be very much in the favor in the broader scheme of themes that the music theme can be applied to. In season four, there was a cut entitled Fred and Gladys in the official soundtrack, and that referred to Charles and Camilla. That was their nicknames, right? What that theme overall represented was the fact that Charles and Camilla were together was causing a huge problem for the queen. And in the same sense, from this particular episode, we see that Tony Blair is, in a way, in his own way, creating a huge problem for the queen. As his popularity is going up, her popularity is going down. And so the overall theme of a problem for the queen is already represented in the music, regardless of what the title is. And throughout the course of the episode, you will hear, like during Blair's speech about Serbia, in other instances where we see Tony Blair, you hear that theme being played. Again, go back to the Season 4 official soundtrack. If you want to hear that, look for Fred and Gladys, and you'll hear that same musical theme, just representing the broader philosophical theme of Trouble for the Queen. And the final thing that I want to talk about in this musical analysis is a new piece, and this one is from the Season 6 official soundtrack. It's entitled Orders and Customs. Once again, go out and buy this official soundtrack. Don't just stream it. Buy it. He deserves his money. But this particular piece I loved because, to me, it added an extra depth to the traditions of what was being done. This is when Elizabeth and Robert Fellows are interviewing all of these positions to see what they do. And this wonderful piece plays underneath as they do it. That really adds a depth showing you how deeply important and deeply embedded these traditions are. As you know, when I analyze music, I like to talk about the timbre, what instruments are being played, the melodic shape, how high or how low does it go, and in which directions, and how big the jumps are, the rhythm, and the harmony. We're going to address a few of those with this. First of all, the timbre is mostly the French horn, which is a very popular instrument for Phipps. He tends to use the French horn for everything, and it has kind of a representation of the queen herself or the royal nature of things, which we often associate brass with royalty. But as the piece goes on, you also are introduced to 
the very strong timbres of strings, which also have a sense of royalty to them. But what the difference between strings and brass are is while brass pronounces, strings feel. And that's what helps add the deeper feeling to it as the piece progresses. Let's talk about the melodic shape. The melodic shape I love because it has big jumps in between certain points. There are small jumps and then big jumps, and most of those jumps are downward. And what that does is it gives the feeling of depth. Oh, this is much bigger than we thought. It's kind of like looking at an iceberg. When you're looking at an iceberg from sea level, you see what's from sea level and above. What you don't realize is in order for that little bit to be above, you've got to have a whole lot more underneath. And this dipping down of the melody and the way that the melody continues to travel down in some ways by its shape creates that effect. This tradition is much bigger than being just a waste of money. First, the melody starts out with this. And I love that. It's got that little skip in there at first, and then it dips way down to tell you this is a big thing. And then it comes back up just slightly, and it resolves on the fifth note of tonality. It feels like it needs to move on to the root. It's not necessarily tense as a melody, though. Instead, it's a stabilizing factor. The fact that this tradition is stable and that it holds everything else up because everything needs to lead back to the one, and this is what's underneath. This is the foundation that's underneath. Now, the second part of the melody dips even lower. That sounds like this. And then there is a third part, and this is where harmony comes into play. And this adds extra depth to everything. That sounds like this. And that final resolution that you heard there tells us that everything is as it should be. It ends in tonality. It's telling us we are home. This is what is meant to be. I won't say it's Phipps's greatest work, but it's certainly the addition of this music helped me really examine what was going on with these different types of traditions, helped me really feel for how important each of these positions are to each of these people and how it ultimately becomes important to the queen. And that's musical analysis. Back to our discussion. Time for some feedback, Bubba. Oh, wonderful. Boy, we've got a lot of feedback. Thank goodness. Um, I once again, once again just want to shout out to The Matrix for leaving a review, which was over a year ago, and I don't know if I read it or not, and I'm not going to read it out loud here. But on uh, Apple Podcasts, they left a review praising the podcast, and I really appreciate that. Folks, if you want to leave a, a written review or even just stars, uh, please do so through your podcast app. It really helps yes. the podcast be more noticeable. And 
um, you know, I, I realize we're running out of episodes and thus we're running out of episodes of podcasts, but it never hurts. It never hurts to just let us know how you feel about the podcast. Maybe the next time we do a podcast, the next time I drag Bubba across the lawn and make him do another one with me, we'll be better at it because of your great feedback. That's, that's all that I ask. Um, so thank you for leaving written reviews and letting us know what we got right, what, letting us know what we got wrong. Uh, leaving stars appropriately to match whatever those comments are. Please. We also got audio feedback. Wonderful. I hope, it's, I hope it's from somebody really, really bright and smart. It turns out that it is. It's from a double L. Double L? Yeah, loyal listener, oh. which is a phrase that I've not used too often in this podcast. But hmm. Bill Kava has oh. been listening to me since... Yes. My lost days of podcasting. He listened to Keys to Lost. He wow. used to submit my very first three words segment. He would submit three words for those. Mm. Uh, and so 15 years I've known Bill Kava. And Great guy. Great guy. Absolutely. Bubba. Yeah. He came to the Keys. He came to Key West to hear the band that I was playing with play mm -hmm. one time i think he just happened to be there but he also stopped in and said hi and listened for a second <laughs> oh how wonderful yeah so bill i love you man i miss you i he came to st louis one time for a lost reunion it, it was wonderful uh to see bill there and later on in life at, down in key west so let's hear what bill has to say hey matt how's it going it's bill Kava. just wanted to check in and talk about a little crown uh season six episodes one through four uh, found them amazing. I mean, I love the show as a whole. I mean, from season one on, it's just, it's a beautiful show to watch, to listen to. The acting, the portrayals of these characters. I mean, even now to see Dominic West, watching him in The Wire as McNulty and then now as Prince Charles, and he, and he pulls it off. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, it's just, I'm in awe about, like, how someone can pull that off and be so believable. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about the episode four uh, scenario with the ghosts of Christmas guilt that I'd like to call them. Um, I know Charles tries to sugarcoat it by calling it regret, but definitely hard up guilt on that. It's kind of funny how he tries to justify it too by, you know, thinking that when Diana says, the ghost of Diana says, proud of the way you stood up at the hospital and you were racked, you know, with pain and kind of like you did the right thing and, and about the handsome part. So he was kind of like, he had guilt, but he was trying to make himself feel better. It was pretty obvious to that point, and that's kind of his personality. Granted, I did watch this episode with a huge lump in my throat throughout, so. And he also says that uh, you were always the most beloved of all of us. So again, trying to uh, make himself feel better by, you know, not blaming himself for anything that's gone on. And now on to Al-Fayed Mohammed. I mean, this is the this is the most complicated one. Only for the fact that, I mean, he's he wanted in on the British royalty for the longest time. Uh, all the way back to when he was young in, in Egypt, when he first laid his eyes on the Duke of Windsor. And was like, that's what I want. You know, I want to be like that. It started off by hiring uh, the valet, the Duke of Windsor's valet, to teach him how to be, you know, how the British act. And again, it went on to, to buying the Ritz and then, you know, looking for acceptance there. And then at the Polo Club, he ended up getting Harrods, you know, again, to just get that audience with the Queen. Um, it was a big deal. 
every step was calculated. And then he, you know, I believe, you know, it was depicted here, but, you know, they said it was fiction, but he commissioned uh, Mario to uh, to get that shot. I mean, there's no other explanation of why he was in the middle of the Mediterranean and came upon them to be able to take that picture. And that, once that picture was taken and once that bounty was paid, all the money, that started the, the frenzy, the paparazzi frenzy. Granted, there were always paparazzi, but... I mean, now it was monetized to a point where it just created this frenzy and it just built and built and built. And here we see him facing, you know, his ghost, his guilt, realizing that he lost his son over his obsession with, with you know, being part of the West. And I think the ghost of Doty uh, himself tells him that, you know, it's just not necessary. You don't need it. But he is the most, obviously, the most out of the three of them, and getting to the queen next, that are, are racked with the guilt. I mean, I think he realizes he started the chain of events with that photograph commission that led to his son's death, which is an awful thing for a parent to go through. Now, the queen, I misspoke earlier. This is actually the most complicated aspect of the guilt. The queen knows... I think the queen knows that she draws a hard line as far as how the monarchy should act goes. I mean, she has been trained her whole life since she was a teenager on, on how to go. I mean, Winston Churchill trained her in ways, you know, the ways that the monarchy should act. Uh, I mean, we saw it when she thought she didn't have to live in Buckingham Palace, but what happened? You know, Churchill said, no, this is what you have to do. So she's always driven the hard line. You know, this is the way it is. And even... Um, Prince Philip, he's the same way. You know, this is what it is. But I think when it comes to Diana, there are definitely cracks where she can see that, yeah, Diana's right, but still I can't, I can't, I can't. I can't give an inch because that just will open the floodgates and the monarchy will never be the same. And during this conversation, well, in her head with Diana, she does resolve to, to address the public and address the death. Now, I remember watching this live as a young man, well, a younger man, and I thought it was legitimate, you know, but I think in this production, they kinda, it kind of was a hostage video, it seemed a little bit. Like, the heart wasn't totally into it, but she did it anyway. I think as we see in the following years that Harry is going to carry that torch and torment them even more as far as opening up the monarchy and uh, making that crack a huge chasm. And we can see as the episode and the first half of this season closes out, as the Queen is saying her nightly prayers, which I'm sure she says something to Diana, but that fear will remain with her the rest of her life about the monarchy. And she, you can see the fear because she feels that lurking aura of Diana still, and it just it startles her to the point where she's frightened. And uh, she can see the future is going to be rough. Now, I have to admit, I'm not into the William and Harry years as much. I mean, this was my wheelhouse, the 80s and 90s. But I'll watch still because, I mean, the show's been amazing. So I'll still watch. I'm sure it'll be just as entertaining as it has been from uh, from the get-go. So with that, I will leave you. I hope uh, my words have not been too choppy as I was trying to gather my thoughts. But I appreciate you guys. Uh, you do an amazing job. And I will be listening. Take care. Bye. Incredible. Incredible. Good to hear from Bill. Good to hear people appreciate this show. Now, this is dealing with, you know, almost like still an open wound 
some of this, uh, you know, the pain of Diana's tragic end. And I think everybody's reacting to it differently. But I think Bill, to be honest, Bill's got to come on here on one of these episodes. Brilliant thoughts. I loved it. I loved it too. And if it's one thing, Bill, after 15 years, what I've come to learn is that you're a better podcaster than me. So uh, why don't you come on to this show with us when we review the finale? Mm. Let me know. Reach out to me, Bill. You know how to reach out to me and see if you can come on and let us know how you thought about the end of this series, the series finale. I want you on here. I also really loved your thoughts about the ghosts uh, because in in a short six minutes, you managed to say what took me two hours to never really get to. No, you didn't. <laughs> you, you know, run your ideas by Bill first, man. Run my I'm running my ideas right now by Please. Bill and Please. and saying, Bill, come on to the show mm -hmm. and then I'll just sit back and produce and you and Bubba can host it. Great thoughts, Bill. I really appreciate you taking the time to put that together for us and send it in. Uh, folks, you can send me stuff as well. Uh, what Bill did was he just made an MP3 and he sent it to me via email. Matt's audio blog at gmail.com. M-A-T-T-S audio blog at gmail.com. Bubba, we also got some feedback from Facebook. This is the first Facebook feedback we've had Incredible. in quite a while for this podcast. So why don't you let us know what Gina said? Yeah, well, speaking, you know, Bill doing great podcasting. Gina, if you listen to the Daily DVR podcast, she does some great work there as well. Gina gave us this feedback on Facebook where she wrote, I'm finally caught up on the crown meaning, you know, part one of season six. And she says, I read The Spare at the beginning of the year. And because of that, I found the first four episodes of this season hard to watch. Last season, season five, I felt it was the show's best season. Not sure if you've read the book, The Spare, but it was insightful into the firsthand experience of the royals, at least Harry, and in some instances, William's experiences. And it had, it was, it was, you know, it was so hard to have them to have to deal with the Pavarazzi. The previews for the rest of this season, though, season six is making me cringe. We'll see. So that's Gina on Facebook. Matt, this is, I think when people talk about why this season is going to get mixed, I mean, you know, this at times, even though, you know, we're talking about uh, two decades ago, at times, if you're of a certain age, it feels like this just happened. And so it, it is odd in that sense to watch it like that. I I agree. And I've loved interacting with Gina, like on podcast Winterfell with mm -hmm. Axel and her and, and her thoughts are always smart and brilliant. Um, and I hope, hope that you end up being wrong about this part too. And lovingly so, I say that, Gina, because I want everybody to enjoy this show yeah. as a drama. But I do totally understand because for a long time for me, as somebody who was just interested in the history and everything and got really into the history and everything, I would get mad when they would get things out of order. I think yeah, they even okay. got a couple things out of order in this particular oh, uh, this in episode, episode six, six. They really did, yeah. Yeah. Um, for instance, uh, uh, fellows like, resigned long before the election mm -hmm. um, and things like that. But for Bubba has convinced me, just look at it like a drama and see if that works for you that way. And it has for me. So I hope Gina, that it works for you as well. As you said, we'll see. <laughs> uh, 
we got some feedback on the YouTube channel as well. That's youtube.com slash at the word double the letter P the word media. Please do check out that channel. We want you to like our videos. Yes. Or just do something to trigger the algorithm <laughs> gods. That, that's all that we ask. Just make wake the algorithm gods up so that Bubba One can time. get 7,000 more views on his a murder at the end of the world videos. Let's go. And uh, we love getting your feedback on these, and we try to share all of it. Uh, this is for our season six, episodes two and three review. Mm. Zephyr Cat 7 said, I'm not even watching the show. What? I love your podcast so mm. much. Oh. With your recaps, games, and analysis, it feels like I've seen the episode. You guys are awesome. A triple P. Triple P. Perfectly polished podcast. Oh, well, are you goodness. sure that you're watching our videos? No, well, our videos are longer than the episodes, so they, it really is like they're watching them, so that's good. <laughs> I'm sure to them it feels like they're watching a whole season at a time when they watch a yes. single episode that I put out. I mean, please. Uh, a podcast episode. But thank you so much, ZephyrCat7. That's the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me. Okay, maybe not. But it's real close. Real, real close. Very thank close. you so much for watching, and we love you, ZephyrCat7. Marisha's mid said this about our review of season six, episode two and episode three. I liked these episodes of part one, but I do think the crown did a 180 with the story, right? The show made the Royal family out to be much more sympathetic and they humanized the Royal family, but they made Dodi Fied's father, Mumu, to be a not so great guy who wanted to be part of the Royal family and was willing to do whatever he needed to do. And he pressured his son, Dodi. I didn't really like the ghost scenes. It was very weak and would have liked it more if they had showed them having guilt in a different way. The show played this season much more on the fiction side than the show normally does because it felt like that for the biggest part told, the more historical storylines uh, that the show has done, they've kind of let that slide. Does it feel like a left turn to you? It does to me. It feels so sudden, and I'm asking myself, is this how they always intended the story to be, or did they need to switch because Harry and Meghan made a deal with Netflix, and so we have to keep everybody in the royal family happy? Only the future and the final part of the crown will reveal the truth. Oh, incredible. I, I, feel, I understand people feeling like the show did a 180. I've mentioned in, in review of part one that that leaving the queen's perspective so much felt like a real strange shift in the show and then here in the first episode of part two it's so much on william once again it's not on queen elizabeth so that is a shift i've been able to enjoy it but i certainly understand feedback like this yeah i do i do too and uh you know everybody's gotten their perspective on you know, what these events in real life mean to them and how that mm -hmm. relates to the show. Yes. We also got, uh, as we mentioned before, some comments regarding uh, the music on our season six, episode four review. I've already addressed those and you guys are musicless uh, because I want to be safe and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Of course. Uh, so, uh, but one of the people who contributed some of that and actually was very helpful in pointing out specific time marks that helped me identify where the music might have been inappropriate was the chuckle show the uh, chuckle and they show. also responded to us regarding uh this season of the crown 
Mm. And they said that this season is better than the previous season. It's amazing. No, wow. Uh, That that was a question that you asked Bubba, I think uh, to the YouTube audience, uh, just in one of the little comments uh, on, Mm -hmm. on that post. And uh Thank you very much, The Chuckle Show, for letting us know how you feel about the season as well. Heck yeah. And, Bubba, it's, yes. time, to, it's time to answer to mm. the people who listen to us, who vote on Finally. these polls. Finally. Finally. Uh, I mean, we did a what's worse question on season six, episode three. And that question was, what's worse, being chased all over town just because you wanted ice cream or being a jewelry shop owner who has to clean up all of the finger and palm prints yep. off of the glass from the people chasing the people who just wanted ice cream. Mm-hmm. Bubba, this has never happened before. No, you keep saying that. Except when it has. Thank you. Okay. Truth. One time. This ended in a tie. 50% <laughs> straight down the middle. Who yeah. knows how many thousands of votes on the, on the uh, site formerly known as Twitter, but 50% each said being chased and cleaning windows are equally as bad. Wow. So half those people have to be royal historian of the of the Windex, and the other half will be, uh, you know, our uh, uh, order of chaser. Yes. Yes. Uh, one, one, is a, uh, one side uh, subscribes to the Admiral of Ice Cream, <laughs> yes, and the other exactly. side to the uh, Admiral of Window Cleanings. Now, we did ask two questions oh. for episode two of The mm. Crown. Uh, the first question being, what's worse being Mario Brenner and taking these those photos of Diana and Dodie or being Duncan Muir and having to take photos of a prince wearing a kilt from a lower angle? Right. Oh, but you whooped me on this one. You Finally. argued that being Duncan Muir, well, you whooped me almost every time, except every time. when things that never happened before happen yeah, no. uh, and we tie. But otherwise, right. I think your record's pretty good. You know, Thank you're you. like seven, uh, zero, and one or two. And so, uh, Duncan Muir, 83.3% to my measly 16.7% for Mario. And the final what's worse question was what's worse hiring paparazzi uh to take pictures of your son right or having mark boland as your pr consultant oh boy if mark boland won this if the if he won this you've got your thumb on the scale give me a break bubba this has never happened before no i won uh mark oh my thumb on the scale nearly two out of every three voters cheating there may have only been three voters, but we need new I was electors. two of them, and I voted for Mark Ballin. Okay. Uh, so uh, that's the way that that goes. Two to one. Hmm. I two win to one. That margin. There was a, a question also for season six, episode four, and that question was, uh, what's worse, being in the rain for 14 hours or listening to Paranoid Android? Uh, Bubba, you picked Paranoid Android. I believe I, I won again. Overwhelmingly, no, no, eighty-three point three percent said that being in the rain for fourteen hours is worse. And we had a parlamentary debate. See, this is where I get confused because if Mark Bolin is worse, yeah, then how could it possibly be that you won the parliamentary debate saying that he's good for Charles? Is he good for Charles because he's worse? Is is that what people want? Do they want Charles to be? 
hung out to dry by Mark Ballin, the same way that uh, you claim that he does some good. Right. I said he was too sing-songy. That only got 12.5%. Thank God. Um, Saint-Tropez is called. And uh, that's evidently good for Charles. I, I don't know what sing-songiness does for Charles, but it does something for him. Guess what, Bubba? I put out right. a poll just this morning as we record this, which is the day after uh, the new episodes were released. And I asked. Oh, what brilliant timing. Yeah, we uh, we did. These votes are early. The, resp the responses are early. So the poll will still be open for a few more days. If you're just hearing this podcast now, go and check at Pod on the site formerly known as Twitter and look for these polls. If you can still vote on them, we would love to get your votes on these. But we ask people to use those same four metrics that we've been using, great, good, fair, or not so good, in order to rate these episodes. Season six, episode five did not get a whole lot of responses as compared to season six, episode six, probably because mm -hmm. Bubba retweeted that one, I believe. Uh, on yep. at the word double the letters PHQ, where you can also mm -hmm. find the polls sometimes retweeted. Um, yeah. But uh, for episode five, the split was fair or great. Seventy-one percent thought it was mm -hmm. great, but only uh, but a, a healthy percentage, twenty-eight point six percent, thought that it was just fair. But we oh, haven't wow. gotten any votes on the other categories. So please, folks, if you're listening and you can get to the Twitter polls. Well, pardon me, the site formerly known as Twitter Polls. Get it right. You vote. I know. Uh, season six, episode six, the ratings are far more split across things. Most mm -hmm. of the uh, the ratings are 42.9% and 23.8% as great or good. Um, but another, again, a healthy 35% rated it fair or not so good. 19% mm -hmm. at fair. 14.3% at not so good. Wow. I, I, as we said at the very beginning of this episode, people are split about part two. Yes. Um, so this is, this is interesting. We're going to have to keep track of this as we go along and continue our coverage of the crown as it comes to its close. And this podcast will also come to its close. But in the meantime, we definitely want to hear from you at little bit pod on the site, formerly known as Twitter or at the word double the letters PHQ, that's P for podcast, HQ for headquarters. Also use that same spelling for Facebook, facebook.com slash the word double the letters PHQ. You can send emails to me, mattsaudioblog at gmail.com. Hey, record yourself an MP3, attach it. We will play it just like we did Bill Kava's. Or you can leave comments on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at the word double the letter P, the word media. Baba. What's actually happening on that YouTube channel? Your cover is still covering a murder at the end of the world. Aren't we coming up on a big finale here? Pretty no, soon? no, we're not covering it anymore because this podcast went so long. The show ended uh, weeks ago. <laughs> yes, we're, we're, we're wrapping up our coverage. When you hear this, uh, the, the coverage will be wrapping up on this new Hulu FX Disney Plus hot star star plus show called A Murder at the End of the World. If you like murder mysteries, always check us out at double PHQ on social media. You got anything in mind for 2024? Rest. Yes, me too. Until At least until House of the Dragon comes out, right? In the summer. And then, uh, of course, the Joffrey of Podcast will be back. And you'll want Heck to yeah. subscribe to the YouTube channel. You'll want to like 
the YouTube channel. You'll want to get notifications for the YouTube channel so that you can be sure to catch Bubba and Catfish back at their glorious best. Listen to the Joffrey podcast wherever you get your podcasts and check it out on the YouTube. Bubba, thanks for being with me on this extraordinarily long episode, which will probably be split into two oh episodes. My, don't do it. Come on, release it all as one. Let's go. Release it all as one just so it's only one 20 gigabyte video that you have to upload on the double p media youtube as opposed to two 10 yes, megabyte or please. 10 gigabyte videos right yes okay well folks you got a long one we realized that you're not even here you weren't here an hour ago but uh thank you so much for checking us out he's bubba i'm matt he's saint i'm scotland bye